Look at that, we lose a thousand when the kids go out, don't we? It's like a ghost town now. I'm waiting for tumbleweeds to go down the aisle. <laughs> Little dust storm. <sighs> if you've got a Bible there, just turn real quickly to John chapter 10 for me. John 10.10, famous passage. Most people, you hang around church long enough, there are certain verses that you just know. Um, Because we hear about them a lot. John 10.10 is one of those passages that if you've been around church long enough, even if you've only been around church a little bit, you've probably heard it. John 10.10, Jesus speaking, he says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. A thief doesn't come, but to steal, kill and destroy. So he says there's a thief out there and a thief has an agenda, has a job. He's doing something. And then he goes on, he says, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. There we go, on the big screen. But I've come that they may have life. And they may have it more abundantly. The thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. So there's a thief out there Stealing, killing, destroying. If I put those three words together, steal, kill, destroy, I could probably sum it up by saying it doesn't sound real good. Fair call? Anyone like being stolen from? Destroyed, anybody? Is there anyone out there? We'll pray for you. Steal, kill and destroy. Nobody likes that kind of stuff. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life. But not just life in this physical sense whereby oxygen goes in and carbon dioxide comes out. Blood runs through a vein, through a heart, back out the other end and around your body. That's uh, existence, I guess. It's the biology of existence. It's what happens in a body that keeps you alive. But it's not the kind of life Jesus is talking about. I know that because he's actually talking to people that already had that going on. Uh, He wasn't at a, a, a cemetery at this stage. If you go back, read the story, he's not at a cemetery speaking to graves. He's speaking to a bunch of people standing upright breathing in oxygen, breathing out carbon dioxide. But he's looking them in the eye and he's saying, there's two things going on here. There's a thief that wants to destroy you. But he said, I've come that you might have something that you don't currently have at the moment. He said, I've come to give you life. I've come to give you life. Not existence, but I actually want to give you life. I want to do something in your world. I want to refocus you. I want to open your eyes to maybe see something you haven't seen before. I want to let you hear something you maybe haven't heard before. I want to let you experience something you maybe haven't experienced before. I want to give you life. You know, this morning I was thinking um, when we we're coming here about the, the, the dedication. And it's, it's, it's lovely. It's great. Like I said, it's wonderful that we get to dedicate. And we've done a few baby dedications here in the life of the church. And it's wonderful. But when I do a dedication, I'm, I'm very aware that At some point, that child is going to grow up and that child is going to have to make a decision to dedicate themselves to God. Well, I can't dedicate you to God. I can can dedicate myself to doing everything I can to point you in that direction and doing everything I can to model and to show you what life looks like as somebody who is dedicated, has made that decision. This is what it it can look like. But I can't actually dedicate you and make... It's like me saying, Pete, I'm picking on Pete today. Pete, are you over 45? Well, next weekend, I'm supposed to be playing a touch footy tournament at Casarino. 
And I'm under strict physio instructions. I'm supposed to have six months without running. I've got to give my body a break um, for a bit. But, Pete, I want you to play. So I'm going to dedicate you to play for that team next weekend. I'm going to dedicate you... I'm going to dedicate you to a fitness regime that in seven days is going to turn that body into an absolute machine. (laughs) With the support of Cheryl. (laughs) I'm going to dedicate you to give up your Friday and your Saturday and go up there to Casarina. I'm going to dedicate you to the registration fee. I'm dedicating you to all this. Do you accept my, my offer? I can't dedicate somebody else to anything. I can only dedicate myself. So when we dedicate children, we're actually dedicating the parents really more so than the child. We're dedicating the parents who are dedicating themselves to showing the way, the best they can. As imperfect as what we all are as parents, we do the best we can with the knowledge we have and we pray for the grace of God to intervene and fill in the spaces. Because there's always going to be spaces. But I've got to dedicate myself at some point. For me, it happened when I was 19. So I was not brought up in a, a Christian home. I didn't, we, I didn't even remember having a Bible in our house. A lot of families who got Bibles and, you know, a lot of families you might go to church on Easter and Christmas. Well, my family was not even an Easter Christmas family. We were literally a nothing family. Jesus Christ could have been an offshoot of Calvin Klein, for all I knew. I didn't have any context for what a Jesus was. Could have been a brand of underpants, a type of soap, a deodorant. Had no idea. Until somebody from outside my family dropped a few seeds in me when I was a young kid. And it took a while, but when I was 19, I came to this place where I had to make my own decision to dedicate myself to following after God. But here's here's the thing. What was I dedicating myself to? I guess that's the thing that was running around in my head this morning when I was driving here and we're dedicating. I'm thinking, well, what are we actually dedicating to? Are we dedicating ourselves to a set of values? Is that what we're doing? Are we just dedicating ourselves to a value base for the rest of my life? I'm going to maybe, you know, live by the Ten Commandments. Maybe I'm dedicating myself to a set of rules. Is that what I'm doing? Am I dedicating myself to... A great philosophy, because Jesus, some people would say, was a great philosophizer. I don't even think that's a real word, but I said it anyway, philosophizer. But it sounds good. It sounds better than philosopher. Philosophizer sounds way better. I'd rather follow a philosophizer than a philosopher, but that's just me. Was he just a great philosophizer? Because some people would say he was. He just said great things, and, and he captured the attention of people. At a time where they needed attention captured because they were being oppressed by the Romans and so on and they needed someone to stand up. Maybe he was just a great philosophizer. So am I just dedicating myself to a great philosophizer who walked planet Earth 2,000 years ago? Is that what I'm doing when I dedicate my life? Am I dedicating my life to a set of rules? I look at it this way. When I was 19, I made a decision to dedicate my life to an ever-present God who loves me and wants to bless me. I didn't dedicate my life to a set of rules because I was ne- never have been, probably still aren't very good at following them. I didn't dedicate myself to a philosophizer. I didn't dedicate myself to a set of values 
I dedicated myself to a God that had already dedicated himself to me through Jesus Christ. When I read the story of, of Jesus on the cross, I immediately think, God, before any of us ever dedicated ourselves to you, before any of us had any interest in you, the Jesus story tells me that God had already dedicated himself to each and every one of us. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, in other words, while we were still not hitting the mark, while we were still falling short, while we were still doing wrong things, while we were still not really particularly interested in him, while we were still thinking we can do this all on our own and let's look at the world around us, haven't we done a great job? Haven't we done a great job by saying, every man to himself? Everybody live by their own set of rules. Everybody just make up their own way of viewing the world. Everybody can decide how much value another human being has based on your upbringing, your experience, whatever. Let's forget that there might just be one way of doing this. You ever played a game of sport, a game of cricket or something like that? And you hit the ball and it goes in the air and it gets caught by somebody else. And they jump in the air, huzzah! And you just stood there and go, what? Hey, you're out! What do you mean? Well, I caught you. Well, in my real book, that's not out. What? It's not out. Here. Real 6.221. Can't get out by being caught. We'll go back. Let's bowl again. So I bowl again. This time I hit the stumps. I knock the stumps out again. How's that? And the guy just stands there. What are you? You're out. No, no. Here, rule 9.43. If I have my left leg in front of my right and it hits the stumps, it's not out. What? Isn't that what the world's like? Isn't that kind of what life is like? If everybody plays by their own rules, there's no cohesion. We're not heading in a direction. There's chaos and madness. And I look at the world around me and I go, that's what it's like right now. Everybody's just making up their own ways of doing things and their own philosophies, their own uh, set of values, their own idea of, of the purpose of life and where life came from and so on. And for me at 19, I found answers to those three big questions. Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? I came across through some people telling me about this great philosopher Jesus. Turns out he wasn't just a philosopher. He actually was God in the flesh come down to earth to live among us. Because he dedicated himself to me before I ever dedicated myself to him. But not just to me, but to everybody. To everybody. The, the, the guy that's sitting in the pub this morning that has so much stuff going on in his life, he doesn't know how to cope with it. And so he's down there now and he's already trying to numb the pain because he just doesn't know what to do because he can't find answers. You know, he, God has dedicated himself to that person already. Just the guy doesn't know it yet. The person sitting in an alleyway now in New York, asleep, with a needle hanging out of their arm because life doesn't make sense. Because I don't know what else to do. Because I don't have anyone to turn to. Because it looks like nobody's interested. Nobody cares. But God, 2,000 years ago, showed that he was already dedicated to that person through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. So when we dedicate ourselves to God, we're not dedicating ourselves to living a holy life. We're not dedicating ourselves to obeying rules. 
We're not dedicating ourselves to living out a philosophy. We're dedicating ourselves to an ever-present God who loves us, likes us, and actually wants to bless us. We're dedicating ourselves to the unseen God in this room right now that maybe some of you can feel. Ever have those moments where you just feel the presence of God? You just know there's something different in this environment. There's something happening here. And I can't put a finger on it. I can't name it. I can't quantify it. But I just know that there's something going on. And I've been in meetings like that where I just knew there's something happening. But I don't ask me what it is. I can't tell you. Because it's kind of otherworldly in a sense. But God was committing himself to me. And God has already, through Jesus, committed himself to us, dedicated himself to us. The part of life, the journey of life, is that we begin to have that unfolded and unpacked and we begin to understand it, that Jesus Christ didn't come to give the world another religion. Jesus says right here very plainly what the agenda of heaven was when he came. And it wasn't, I've come that you may have rules and plenty of them. I've come that you may have a philosophy. I've come that you may have vows. He says, I've come to give you life, you living, breathing people who think that you know what it's all about. I'm here to tell you there's just another dimension. You've got some good things going down here, but there's another dimension to this thing called existence, and I call it life and life abundantly. It's another dimension. It's something that me as a human being I can't quite tap into because I know what goes on around me in a see, taste, touch, smell, feel world, but that's it. But there is a whole other world going on beside that. Time and space existed before I got here. Time and space will exist after I leave here, this planet. But see, in Jesus Christ, I find an answer to the question, where did I come from? I came from God. The Bible says in the beginning that God created me, that God fashioned me with his own hands. I don't have value in the eyes of God because of what I do. Sometimes I nail it and I'm unbelievable and I'm just amazing and I'm even better than that. That's my wife. Sometimes I've just got it all going and I'm I'm hitting the marks and dotting the I's and crossing the T's. But then there's the occasional day where I might just fall a little bit short. Where I might not hit the mark. Where I might not be Prince Charming. Shock horror. But my value in the eyes of God doesn't come from my performance. It doesn't come from the fact that I've nailed it. It comes from the fact that I was created by him in his image. The image of God has value. I don't care what you think of God, but if I say God to you, it conjures up this image of this immense being that apparently created and and, and does all these great, wonderful things and supersedes humanity. Well, that God, that image is valuable. You are created in his image, therefore you have intrinsic value. You've got the fingerprints of God on you. But we live in a society that will tell you, no, 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 your value is based purely and solely on your performance from the minute you're this big to the pretty much the minute you go to the grave. What mark did you get? That'll open doors. How good of a sports person are you? What sort of an intellect have you got? How good are you? How good? Or the good people, the skilled, they, we all get the, the promotions, the pushing up the ladder. I remember when I first moved to Bundaberg years ago, this ages ago, um, I, got, I came to faith in God when I was 19. I moved up to Bundaberg, and I've always been a really good touch football player. When I was a younger kid down here, I was, was, was <laughs> actually pretty amazing. Um, still am. But um, my body could move back then. I could, I could. I could step off my left leg and not hurt. I could actually bend over and not have to take three, three touches just to straighten myself up before I came in. 
And we moved up to Bundaberg and nobody knew us up there and I went down the Tunch footy fields one day and I wanted to pick up a game and you know what? Nobody wanted a bar of me. They just looked at this skinny... I was skinny back then. Looked at this skinny uh, 22-year-old, whatever I was at the time. Was it 22 when we moved up there? And 23 even. Who would have known? Still look like I was 16. Still do. If I shave that off, you'll be asking for ID. So I go up there and I'm looking for a game and of course nobody wants Sabaria. Nobody wants to touch it. Finally this one team said, oh look, we've got players missing today. It's just a bit of fun. Come and have a run. I did. And I went out there and played. I drove home. Seven days later I came back to the grounds and you know what? I didn't got out of my car and I've got contracts and you know. Come play with us. We want you to play. We want you to play. It felt great. It was awesome actually. To have, all of a sudden everybody wanted me but at the same time very shallow because they only wanted me because of my performance. And it wanted me because I could do something really good, you know. It's not the case with God. The Bible says while we were still sinners, when we weren't doing anything really good, Jesus died for us. When we had no interest in him, he had immense interest in us. When we had no dedication to God or to spiritual things, he had that much dedication to us that he came to earth as a man in the form of Jesus. He dedicated himself to us to show us the way. God offers us life. God offers us life. You know what the big killer is? You know who the thief is that steals, kills and destroys in John 10? It's religion. It's religion. If you go back, I'll take you on a bit of a journey. Don't worry about going back there. You go back to the start of John chapter 9. This is where the whole thing begins, right? John chapter 9, Jesus, uh, this is God that's born blind. And so Jesus is going to heal him. And his disciples asked this question. They say to Jesus, who sinned that this man was born blind? Was it him or his parents? Because it had to be, you know, we've got to blame somebody. His parents, was it him? God wants us to be God conscious, not sin conscious. He wants us to be conscious of his ever presence with us. Not the sin that is ever present within us. He wants us to focus on his goodness and his greatness, not our own shortcomings and our own pitfalls. Put your hand up right here if you don't have a single thing wrong with you. Put your hand up here if you haven't, in the last seven days, done something that you feel like a perfect and holy God, whatever your image of him would be, hasn't thought, gosh, that's a bit how you're going. We all have, and we all do. But you see, I believe God wants us to focus on his ever-present nature with us, God wants us to be aware that he's with us and that he loves us and not constantly be looking at all the shortcomings and failings of our life because when we're focused on those things, we become self-conscious. When we become self-conscious, we're no longer God-conscious. We're just thinking about ourselves and all the reasons why God wouldn't want to have a bar of me. But that's not the God that Jesus came to speak to us about. Jesus never came to give the world a religion. There were thousands of religions in, on planet Earth when Jesus Christ came. Thousands. He did not come to give the world another religion. Jesus said, I came to give you Life. Came to give you life. And so Jesus ends up healing this man. But you know what the big mistake was? Did it on Sunday. <laughs> Dead set, you can't read it. Did it on the Sabbath. That's one of our touch footy moves too, by the way, Sabbath. It's cool, I got to say, I knew I'd get Jesus into that team somehow. Named a move after our holy day. Jesus heals this man on a Sunday. And then all hell breaks loose. 
The Pharisees, they, they, the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, the ones that ran the, the church, I guess you could call it, went and grabbed him and they dragged him into a little room. They sat him down, they got a lamp, they put it in his face, clicked a button, the lamp came on like in the movies, you know. Interrogate, started interrogating this guy. Who did this? He's like, I don't know. This fellow called Jesus. I didn't see him coming. Next thing you know, boof, my eyes are open. It's Jesus. They were arguing. And he's just going, look, I can't give you anything more than that. It was Jesus. And they're blowing up because he did it on the wrong day of the week. So conscious of the rules. So conscious of the apparent sin that they couldn't see God. So conscious of, of, of the breaking of a rule that they missed the joy that came with having an encounter with God. They couldn't see God because of the, all they're looking at was the rules. And so in the end, they call the killer's parents in. And the parents come on in. And they sit the parents down there and they start nailing the parents. And the parents are going, look, we, we can't answer you because we want to stay in the church. We want to stay in the church. And if we say to you, it's exactly as he said, we'll get kicked out of the church. So they go, he's over 18, ask him. He can deal with his own consequences. We just want to stay in the church. And so they get so mad, they kick him out of the church. Boom, go. Why? Because he got healed on a Sunday. But that's what religion does. That's exactly what religion is about. Are you dedicated to the Christian religion or are you dedicated to God? Are we following a religion or are we building a relationship with an ever-present God who loves us and wants to bless us? They're two totally different things. You know what the world hates? The world, I, don't, I think every person on planet Earth, if you could see God, the way that the Bible portrays him, if we could actually see God in his grace, his mercy, and his love for humanity, if we could see him the way that Jesus portrayed him, we would run to God, we would not run away. You know why we run away from God today? Because we don't really see God, we see religion. We don't really get a chance to encounter God because we're too busy looking around at the rules, the regulations. We're too busy looking around at a bunch of people who are absolutely imperfect, by the way. Who still battle, who still struggle, who still fall short. But we don't let our failings and our shortcomings define who we are and rob and suck the life out of us. We pick ourselves up because we're grateful because if there's anything we know, it's that what Jesus did on the cross is way bigger than what I've done down here. There's nothing I can do, there's no rule I can break that is much more powerful to keep me away from God than what Jesus did on the cross to bring me to him. This is what the whole Old Testament's about. Israel run around as a nation every year. They had to get these lambs and, and, and things and get them, and they would kill them every year. They're just like a bloodbath. Be like a bloodbath. Killing all these animals and the blood would go, and God would say, right, your sins are covered for another year. But they're going to come back next year to the same place, do it again. Why? Because we know we're going to break another law. We know we're going to make another mistake. We're going to do something. So we'll come back again next year. And this became part of their culture. Every year, come back and go through the same thing again and again and again and again. And the story of Jesus is a very simple one. By the time Jesus comes to earth, he's got a very simple message. Here's his message. He's basically saying to the world that, that he comes to, he goes, look, have you guys got it yet? You can't get your way to heaven by yourself. Have you worked it out yet? You're not good enough. None of us are good enough. 
And none of us will ever be good enough. I can walk with God for the next 50 years of my life. We could have the biggest church in the world. I could see 100,000 people healed of polio, leprosy, cancer. I'm still not going to be good enough. I will still fall short in the eyes of a perfect and holy God. I need Jesus. Because when Jesus came, it was God's way of saying, you know what, I'm sick of lambs and goats and sheep and I don't want to do this every year anymore. I'm over it. Well, that, if, if God was Australian, that's how he would put I'm over that. Bad enough. Let's just do something fair income about this problem. Let's put a stop to it. You guys need to understand that every time you blow it, blood needs to be shed for the forgiveness of sin. But here's what God says. I love humanity so much that I don't want you to have to shed your blood for your own sin. I don't want you to do it. Because I love you. My mercy is such that I want to set you free. My mercy is such that I want relationship with you. But the justice side of God goes, but I've still got to pay for sin. Here's what I'll do. I'll come down to earth myself. In the form of a man, I'll walk among you. I'll feel what it's like to be human. I'll go through the temptations, the testings, the trials, and please do not think Jesus had an easy life. Read the book. His friends turned on him, deserted him, whipped beaten, accused of being a blasphemer, a rebellious leader. All the stuff that we went through, he's gone through it all. But he chose to walk through it. Now the Bible says that he dies on a cross, crucified. Spoken about by prophets thousands of years earlier. Documents that have been found. See, this book isn't something that was written by somebody in the last century. 66 separate books. We have one called a Bible, but it's 66 different um, 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 sources of literature that have been scattered, found on three, two or three different continents all around the world, written from prisons, from, from dungeons, from, from palaces, caves. We're just lucky, I guess, in one sense in today's day and age because we got all together in one book we call the Bible. But go back and look at the history of it. How can all these people throughout all this time that are centuries apart from each other, tell the same story. Yet, here it is. And the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us. Jesus Christ dies on a cross. He's crucified. And there's that shedding of blood again. And then the good news, what we call the good news is this, that every one of us one day will stand before God. We will. And I don't say that to be dramatic. It's what I believe. I believe that when I leave this earth, I'll just check out of this glorious, fantastically athletic body I've got. The real me is going to keep on going. But the real me is going to stand before God. He's not going to care that I pastored a church. He's not going to care that I read the Bible cover to cover. He's not going to care that I gave money to the poor. He's not going to care that I prayed for seven hours a day. He's not going to care that I didn't miss a church service, a worship meeting. He's not going to care about any of that. That's all fantastic and wonderful down here. That's the kind of stuff that, 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 that adds to my life down here. But when I get up there, it's not going to mean much. He's only going to have one thing that he's concerned about, and that is, what did you do with this good news? What did you do with this offer I gave you through the shed blood of Jesus? What did you do with it? Did you decide to humble yourself and go, you know what, yeah, I've, I've, I've messed up? Did you, did you invite me to come on in and take the reins? Lead you, guide you, 
take you to this place called abundant life. Not just human existence, but abundant life. Or did you say, forget it, I can do it myself. Thanks. And take your chances that way. What are we dedicating ourselves to? Are we dedicating ourselves to the Christian religion? Or are we dedicating ourselves to an ever-present God who loves us and wants to bless us? They're two totally different things. And I think the world sees a bunch of people that we're maybe, maybe, just maybe sometimes we're too caught up on the rules. Maybe we're a little bit like those religious leaders and so on. But, oh, but you broke the rule. Oh, but you, you didn't. Mark chapter 2 is a brilliant passage if you get some time. Read it. I mean, Jesus just gets nailed by these religious leaders. First of all, I think he might, might, might heal someone on a Sabbath. And then the next thing you know, his, his disciples, they're saying, why don't your disciples fast? And John the Baptist do. You guys don't fast. And then they're walking through a field one day and they crack some grain on a Sunday to eat. The, and all of a sudden, he's in trouble for that. Why do your people crack grain on a Sabbath? You should rest on a Sabbath. You don't do anything on a Sabbath. Just one thing after another after another from these religious people that were so caught up on the rules that they completely missed the life that God had for them. What are we focused on? What's our focus as believers? I'm speaking now specifically to those of us that are here that say we follow Jesus. Are we following the Christian religion? which is as dead as every other religion on planet Earth, by the way. It really is. I reckon religious people are dull, they're colourless, they're critical, they're never happy, they're always self-loathing, they're always pointing out the faults in everybody else. They can't just simply look their face up to heaven with a smile and say, God, isn't it a great day? God, aren't you wonderful? Oh, look what they've done. Look what they're doing. After they've kicked this guy out in the synagogue in the book of John, there's this beautiful passage. I think it's towards the end of 9, maybe beginning of 10. It says that when Jesus heard what they'd done to him, that Jesus actually went looking for him. How cool is that? When Jesus heard that he'd been kicked out, Jesus went looking for him. He went looking for him. Because Jesus and religion don't go together. Let's be real. Who nailed Jesus to the cross? Who were the people that got in Jesus' face? Who were the people that fought the most with Jesus? It was those that wanted to fight for the rules and not relationship with God. I don't dot all my I's. I don't cross all my T's. I do the best I can. But you know, at the end of the day, Ephesians 2 tells me that I am saved by grace through faith. I'm saved by grace through faith alone. This not of myself, it's a gift of God, so that no man can boast. If there's anybody in this room and your life's right with God right now, you can't boast about it. It's because of the grace of God that you're right before him. And that's the beauty of, of what Jesus came when he said, I come to give you life. He's offering us a life that we enter into, not by performance. It's a life we enter into by grace. It's not a life that we need to now go and do something to get a hold of. It's already there. It's right here with us. It's as far away as our ability to open our mouth and say, Father, come. God, forgive me. Take a hold of my life. Give it meaning, purpose. Show me what you put me here for. Thank you 
for the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What are we focused on? Are we focused on the Christian religion, or are you focused on an ever-present God who loves us and wants to bless us? Just about to finish. Now, some years back, I was, um, my wife came home one day with a dress. Sound shocked. She came home with a dress and she put this dress on the kitchen bench. She calls me over and she goes, do you like this dress? And I looked at it and I went... So just, just hop away for a bit. She went, what? I said, just, can you hop away from it for a second? So she took a few steps away and she moved away and I just stood there and stared at it again. I went... Can you just take a few more steps back? She said, what? She said, just do it. Just take some steps back. She took a couple more steps back away from this dress and she's standing there. And I'm still looking at the dress and I'm going, look, I, I can't make... Can you just take a couple more steps away? What am I doing this for? It's ridiculous. Right, what? And then she's about this far away from the dress and I looked and went, you know what? That's actually a really beautiful dress. Then she comes over all frustrated. Well, why do you have to make me walk all the way over there for? I said, because Jackie, in comparison, when it's standing next to you, it looked like a pile of rubbish. Let me tell you something. You put the life of God and relationship with a loving God next to religion. It's a pile of rubbish. It's a pile of rubbish. All right? God offers us relationship with him. And I don't know everybody in this room, but here's what I want to do. I want to leave you with this, John 3.16. Everybody knows that one. So I've been picking verses that, that we sort of all know. It says, For God was so kind of all partially interested in the world. No? <laughs> yeah, have I misquoted another Bible verse, have I? I do it all the time. For God was kind of almost there. For God so loved bits and pieces of the world. For God so loved a few of them. For God was kind of fond of. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let me leave you with this. God's focus is you through a lens of love. It's not your sin through a lens of judgment. God's focus is you this morning. And he's looking at you through eyes of love. He's not looking at your mistakes. He's not looking at your shortcomings through a lens of judgment with a big gavel waiting to pound you. He's not up there going, if you grovel hard enough, I just might accept you. If you'll scrape your knees, bend your back a little. The love of God is available to each and every one of us. And it doesn't mean that we have to go out and become something we're not. Here's the beauty with God. He made this commitment to us. He said, if you'll open up your heart to me, he said, I'll send my spirit to come and live inside of you. And I'll change you from the inside out. I don't expect you to pretend that you're something that you're not. You just be yourself. But you hook up with me and you allow me the space I need to come into your life. And you allow me to speak to you and allow me to change you. See, God changes us from the inside out. Religion says change from the outside and you'll be accepted. God says, I accept you no matter what you look like on the outside. But I will empower you to change. Because, you know, most people doing things that, they, that, that are bad or things that, you know, we don't want to do them. 
I've got destructive habits and behaviours in my life that I didn't want to have there when I was 19. I was the life of the party. I'd go out with my mates and get, you know, do all the things that Aussie guys do and stuff. But I'd wake up the next morning and I'd feel terrible about myself because I knew I'd mistreated people and, 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 and the opposite sex and my own body and things like that. And it's like, that's not me, but I know I'm going to go and do it again. I know it's not right. I don't want to be this person, but I'm just going to keep doing it because I feel powerless to change. It was only when I realised that when I reconnected myself, when I connected myself with God by faith and I opened up my heart and realised I can't change myself. I can't make myself a better person. I can't stop all these things, Lord. Just take me as I am. And I, I, I think he's done an okay job. I'm still not perfect. I'm a, I'm, I'm a work of progress like everybody else. But I want you to know this this morning. God so loves you that he gave his only son. And if you would believe in him, He'll send his spirit inside of you and he'll change your life. And I can't give you a manual for it. And I wish I could take the blinders off everybody's eyes so you can see exactly what I'm saying, but I can't. But I know this, if you knew me when I was 16, 17, 18, 19 years of age to now, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you would say there's something different about that guy and it's not me. I couldn't do any of this for myself. But I do believe in in a a powerful God and I do believe in a God that's ever-present. And I believe in a God that wants relationship with you. He doesn't want to give you a rule book. He wants to give you himself. And he wants to change you. Amen. I want everyone to just close your eyes for a second. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I don't want to do anything weird here. I'm not going to ask anyone to come up front. None of that stuff. But I don't know everybody here. And I just want to ask you a question. If you're here today and you've never opened your heart up to God, you've never said, you know what? Jesus, I have messed up. God, I do believe that you're real. I do believe that there's a heaven. I do believe that I'll never make it on my own. I do believe I've fallen short. But I also believe that Jesus was sent to, to, to fill that space, that gap between me and you. If you're here this morning and you uh, are interested or you want to make that decision, maybe you don't want to make that decision, but maybe there's something in you going, look, I don't, maybe there's more to this. Maybe I haven't thought about this at this level before, but maybe there's a bit more to it. If that's you, I just want you to do me a quick favour. Just shoot your hand in the air, pull it straight down. I'm not going to embarrass you, not going to point to you, not going to get you to come up, nothing. But I'm just going to pray in a second for each of us in this room. I'm not going to... But if that's you, I just want you to quickly shoot your hand up for me. That's right, let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for this opportunity that we've had today. Lord, when we gather together, we don't do it as a duty. We're not here to put on a show or a performance. God, we're not here so that you'll love us more or to get brownie points with you. God, that's not why we're here. Father, we gather together here, Lord, because we believe when you said that two or more are there, you'll be with us. So God, thank you for being with us today. Lord, I I, want to pray for every person in this room. God, show us the difference between a relationship with you and a commitment to the Christian religion. Father, I pray as we go from this place, Holy Spirit, that you would take the seeds that have been planted today, I pray you would water them. Father, I pray for dreams, for visions. 
I pray for circumstances and situations to happen in people's lives, God, that will point them to you. God, I don't care whether it happens here. Lord, I don't even care whether, 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 whether people never come back to this particular church again. But, God, I do pray that you would reveal yourself to people in the same way that you did to me when I was 19 years of age, all those years ago. In the same way that you are doing every day, all around planet Earth, revealing yourself to people. Lord, thank you this morning that you're not angry with any of us. You're not sitting there with a pen and a pad waiting for us to make a mistake to write down another thing to judge us for. Father, the day of judgment is not now. Lord, today is a day of grace. It's a day of mercy. And I thank you for that, Father. So, Lord, bless every person that is here and all the kids next door. Bless them, Lord. Watch over them. Keep them safe. And God, for those of us in this room here that that claim to know you, Lord, I pray in the next seven days, give each one of us an opportunity to tell somebody about your goodness, God, somebody that, that doesn't yet understand it. And Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, that's it. We're done. Uh, God bless you. Thank you for coming along to our gathering today. Uh, we'll see you next week or we'll see you in connect groups or we'll see you downtown or KFC or something like that. Lining up for a bacon and cheese zinger burger, maybe a towel stacker with Daniel. Don't feel like you've got to run off. We've still got more tea and coffee there. There's more morning tea and stuff to have. Uh, and again, uh, bless you guys. Thank you so much for coming and supporting um, uh, Nick and Haley and allowing us to be a part of that process as well. Bless you.